Chapter Seven of the Lust of Hate by Guy Newell Boothby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven: A Bitter Disappointment. Long before daylight, I was awake, thinking of her unenviable position, and wishing, for the lady's sake, that I could do something to improve it. But as far as I could see, I had done everything that was possible by mortal man. Somehow, though I valued their eggs above gold, I had no fancy for the seabirds themselves. What I wanted most was a contrivance with which to capture some of the fish in the bay. A line I could easily make by unravelling the painter of the lifeboat. The hook, however, beat me. A hairpin would have done admirably, but unfortunately Miss Maybourne's hair covered her shoulders just as she had run up from her cabin on hearing the first alarm. An ordinary pin would have been invaluable but among the three of us we could not muster even one. Just as daylight broke, however, I solved my difficulty in the simplest fashion possible. I could have kicked myself round the island if it had been possible for my stupidity in not having thought of it sooner. In my tie I wore a long gold pin with an astuchian top, which had been given me in Australia years before. The remembrance of it no sooner came into my mind than I whipped it out of the tie and had bent the point to a fair-sized hook. This done, I rose from my couch between the rocks, and having replenished the fire, which still showed a red glow, hastened down the hillside to where the boat lay upon the sands. From the painter I extracted sufficient strands to make a line some thirty feet long, and to this I attached my hook. I very much doubt if a fish were ever honoured before with so grand a hook. Just as the sun's first rays were shooting up beyond the placid sea-line, and the sea and heavens were fast changing from a pure pearl grey to every known colour of the rainbow, I pushed the boat into the water and rowed out for half a mile or so, and having baited my hook with muscle, I threw it overboard, and seating myself line in hand in the stern, awaited results. I looked at the island, showing so clear and rugged in the bright morning light, and thought of Miss Maybourne and the sick child. If the truth must be confessed, I believe I was happier then, even in such straits and upon so inhospitable a shore, than I had ever been before. When I thought of Bartrand, as I had last seen him lying stretched out in the snow in that quiet street, and remembered my struggle with Nicola in Golden Square, my walk through sleeping London to Surbiton, and my journey to Southampton, it all seemed like some horrible dream, the effects of which I was at last beginning to rid myself. It was hard to believe that I had really gone through it all, that I, the man now fishing so quietly in this boat, in whom Miss Maybourne believed in so much, was in reality Gilbert Pennethorne, the perpetrator of one of the mysterious murders which had entirely baffled the ingenuity of the London police. I could not help wondering what she would say if anyone should tell her the true story of the man in whom she placed such implicit confidence. Would she credit it or not? While I was thinking of this, I felt a sharp tug upon my line, and when I drew it in, I found to my delight a nice fish impaled upon the hook. Having released him and placed him securely at the bottom of the boat, I did not lose a moment in throwing the line overboard again. Within quarter of an hour, I had landed five splendid fellows, and was as pleased with my success as if I had just been created Lord Chancellor of England. Today, at any rate, I told myself, Miss Maybourne and the little girl should have a nice breakfast. 
arriving at the beach i sprang out and using the same means as before drew my boat up out of reach of the tide and taking my prizes with me i made my way up the hill to the plateau just as i reached it miss maybourne made her appearance in the cave and came towards me look i cried holding up the fish as i spoke are these not beauties they are indeed splendid she answered but how did you manage to obtain them i thought you said last night you could think of no way of making a hook so i did but since then i have remembered the gold pin i wore in my tie i found that it made a most excellent hook and with its assistance i managed to get hold of these gentlemen but in my triumph i am forgetting to inquire how you and your little friend are this morning you were fairly comfortable in the cave i hope quite comfortable thank you she answered gravely but poor little esther is no better this morning in fact if anything i fancy she is worse she was delirious for some time in the night and now she's in a comatose condition that frightens me more than her former restlessness it goes to my heart to see her in this state is there nothing we can do for her i wonder i said as i prepared my fish for the fire i fear we are powerless replied miss maybourne the only thing i can imagine to be the matter with her is that she must have been struck by something when we were sucked under by the sinking ship she complains continually of pains in her head in that case i fear there is nothing for it but to wait patiently for some ship with a doctor on board to come in sight and take us off in the meantime she may die oh poor little esther and mr rexford this helplessness is too terrible what could i say to comfort her in my own mind i saw no hope unless a vessel hove in sight and she chanced to carry a doctor the child must inevitably die as soon as breakfast was cooked i went into the cave and looked at her i found the little thing stretched upon the grass i had thrown down for a bed she was unconscious as miss maybourne had said and was breathing heavily her pulse was almost unnoticeable and occasionally she moaned a little as if in pain it was a sight that would have touched the most callous of men and in spite of that one sinister episode in my career i was far from being such a nero at midday there was no change perceptible in her condition by the middle of the afternoon she was worse miss maybourne and myself took it in turns to watch by her side in the intervals we climbed on the hill and scanned the offing for a sail our vigilance however was never rewarded the sea was as devoid of ships as our future seemed of hope after a day which had seemed like an eternity the second night of our captivity on the island came round a more exquisite evening could scarcely be imagined i had been watching by the sick child's side to the greater part of the afternoon and feeling that if i remained on shore miss maybourne would discover how low-spirited i was i took the boat and rowed out to the bay and tried to obtain some fish for our supper this was not a matter of much difficulty and in less than a quarter of an hour i had hauled on board more than we could possibly have eaten in three meals when i had finished i sat in my boat watching the sunset effects upon the island it was indeed a scene to remember and the picture of it as i saw it then rises before me now as clear as if it were but yesterday to the right and left of the points which the sheltered bay where the deep green of the sea was changed to creaming froth where the surf caught the rocks but in the little indentation which we had made our home the wavelets rippled on the sand with the softest rhythm possible the sky was cloudless the air warmer than it had been for days past the glow of a sunset imparted to the western cliffs a peculiar shade of pink the beauty of which was accentuated by the deep shadows cast by the beetling crags 
on the hillside directly opposite where my boat was anchored i could see the plateau and on it my fire burning brightly i thought of the brave woman nursing the sick child in the cave and of the difference she had made in my lonely life oh god i cried if only you had let me see the chance that was to be mine some day how easy it would have been for me to have ordered nikola and his temptation to stand behind me now i see my happiness too late and am consequently undone for ever as i thought of that sinister man and the influence he had exercised upon my life i felt a thrill of horror pass over me it seemed dreadful to think that he was still at large unsuspected and in all probability working some sort of evil on another unfortunate individual in my mind's eye i could see again that cold impassive face and its snake-like eyes and hear that insinuating voice uttering once more that terrible temptation surely i thought the dread enemy of mankind must be just such another as dr nikola when the sun had disappeared below the sea-line the colour of the ocean had changed from all the dazzling tints of king opal to a sombre coal black hue and myriads of stars were beginning to make their appearance in the sky i turned my boat's head and pulled towards the shore again a great melancholy had settled upon me a vague sense of some impending catastrophe of which try how i would i found i could not get rid of myself on reaching the plateau i made my way up to the cave and looked in i discovered miss maybourne kneeling beside the child on the grass as soon as she saw me she rose and led me out into the open mr rexford she said the end is quite close now i feel sure the poor little thing is growing weaker every moment oh it's too terrible to think that she must die because we have not the means to save her i did my best to comfort her but it was some time before i achieved any sort of success when she had in a measure recovered her composure i accompanied her back to the cave and examined the little sufferer for myself alas one glance showed me how very close the end was already the child's face and hands were cold and clammy her respiration was gradually becoming more and more difficult she was still unconscious and once i almost thought she was dead all through that dreadful night she lingered on miss maybourne remained with her until close upon midnight when i relieved her shortly before sunrise i went to the mouth of the cave and looked out the stars were almost gone for the sky and the world was very still when i returned i thought the child had suddenly grown strangely quiet and knelt down to examine her the first grey shafts of dawn showed me that at last the end had come death had claimed his victim henceforth we need feel no more concern for poor little esther her sufferings were over she had gone to join her mother and the little ones who had lost their lives two days before having to convince myself that what i imagined was correct i reverently closed the little eyes and crossed the frail hands upon her breast then went out into the fresh air the sun was in the act of making his appearance above the peak and all our little world was bathed in his glory i looked across to the place between the rocks where i usually slept and saw miss maybourne rising from her rest my presence outside the cave must have told her my news for she came swiftly across to where i stood it's all over she said very quietly i can see by your face that the end has come i nodded for the life of me i could not have spoken just then the sight of that agonised face before me and the thought of the dead child lying in the cave behind me deprived me of speech entirely miss maybourne noticed my condition and simply said take me to her 
i did as she commanded and together we went back into the chamber of death when we reached it my companion stood for a few moments looking at the peaceful little figure on the couch of grass and then knelt down beside it i followed her example and holding my hand in hers she prayed from the child whose body the soul had just departed then for ourselves still left upon the island when she had finished we rose and after a final glance at our dead companion went out into the open air again by this time i had got so much in the habit of searching the sea for ships that i did it almost unconsciously as i passed out of the cave i glanced out across the waste of water and then i stood rock still hardly able to believe the evidence of my eyes there fast rising above the horizon were the sails of a full-rigged ship miss maybourne saw them as soon as i did and together we stood staring at the vessel with all our eyes my companion was the first to speak do you think she will come near enough to see us she cried in a voice i hardly recognised so agitated was it she must be made to see us i answered come what may she must not pass us what are you going to do how are you going to prevent it tell me and let me help you if i can a notion had seized me and i determined to put it into practice without an instant's delay collect all the wood we can find and make a large bonfire when that has been done we must launch the boat and pull out to intercept her if she sees the flare she will make her way here and if she does not we may be able to catch her before she gets out of our reach thus in either case we should be saved without another word we set to work collecting wood by the time the hull of the vessel was above the horizon we had accumulated a sufficient quantity to make a large beacon we did not set fire to it at once however for the reason that i had no desire to waste my smoke before those on board the ship would be able to distinguish it from the light clouds hovering about the peaks above before we could dream of leaving the island there were two other matters to be attended to the first was to fill up the mouth of the cave with stones for there was no time to dig a grave and so convert it into a rough sepulchre the second was to cook and eat our breakfast it was certain that we should require all our strength for the undertaking and to attempt such a long row on an empty stomach would i know be worse than madness these things i explained to miss maybourne who willingly volunteered to officiate as cook while i set about the work first mentioned in something less than quarter of an hour i had rolled several large rocks into the mouth of the cave until the entrance was effectually barricaded by the time this work was completed it was necessary to light the bonfire this i did setting fire to the dry grass at the bottom with a log from the blaze at which miss maybourne had just been cooking in a few minutes we had a flare the flames of which could not have been less than twenty feet in height we ate our breakfast with our eyes fixed continually upon the advancing ship so far she seemed to be heading directly for the island but my fear was that she might change her course without discovering our beacon and in that case be out of range before we could attract her attention our meal finished therefore i led miss maybourne down the hill to the beach and then between us we pushed the lifeboat into the water my intention was to row out a few miles and endeavour to get into such a position that whatever course the vessel steered she could not help but see us as soon as we pushed off from the shore i turned the boat's head and taking up the oars set to work to pull out to sea it was not altogether an easy task for the boat was a heavy one and the morning was strangely warm the sky overhead was innocent of cloud but away to the west it presented a hazy appearance 
the look of which i did not altogether like however i stuck to my work all the time keeping my eyes fixed on the rapidly advancing ship she presented a fine appearance and it was evident she was a vessel of about three thousand tons i hoped she would turn out to belong to our own nationality though under the circumstances any other would prove equally as acceptable at present she was still distant from us about six miles and as she was still heading directly for the island i began to feel certain she had observed our signal for this reason i pointed my boat's head straight for her and continued to pull with all the strength i possess suddenly miss maybourne uttered a little cry and seeing her staring in a new direction i turned my seat to discover what had occasioned it but she is leaving us cried my companion in agonized tones pointing to the vessel we had been attempting to intercept look look mr rexford she is leaving us there was no need for her to bid me look i was watching the ship with all my eyes heaven alone knows how supreme was the agony of that moment she had gone about and for this reason it was plain that those on board had not seen our signal now unless i could manage to attract her attention it would be most unlikely that she would see us in that case we might die upon the island without a chance of escape at any cost we must intercept her i accordingly resumed my seat again and began to pull wildly after her fortunately the breeze was light and the sea smooth otherwise i should never have made no headway at all but when all was said and done with both wind and tide in my favour it was but little that i could accomplish the boat as i have already said was large and a heavy one and my strength was perhaps a little undermined by all i had gone through in the last two or three days but knowing what depended on it i toiled at the oars like a galley slave while miss maybourne kept her eyes fixed upon the retreating ship at the end of an hour i was obliged to give up the race as hopeless my strength was quite exhausted and our hoped-for saviour was just showing hold down upon the horizon realising this i dropped my head into my hands like the coward i was and resigned myself to my despair for the moment i think i must have forgotten that i was a man i remembered only the fact that a chance had been given us of escaping from our prison and that just as we were about to grasp it it was snatched away again our fate seemed too cruel to be endured by mortal man courage friend courage said miss maybourne as she noticed my condition bitter as our disappointment has been we have not done with hope yet because that vessel did not chance to rescue us it does not follow that another may not do so had we not better be getting back to the island it's no use remaining here now that our ship is out of sight i saw the wisdom contained in her remark and accordingly pulled myself together and set to work to turn the boat's head in the direction we had come but when we had gone about my dismay may be imagined at discovering that a thick fog had obscured the island and was fast bearing down upon us those on board the vessel we had been chasing must have seen it approaching and thought it advisable to give the island and its treacherous surroundings as wide a berth as possible can you see the land at all mr Reckford? asked miss maybourne who had herself been staring in the direction in which our bows were pointing i must confess i could see nothing of it i answered but if we continue in this direction and keep our ears open for the sound of the surf there can be no doubt as our being able to make our way back to the bay how thick the fog is she continued how quickly it has come up it makes me feel more nervous than even the thought of that ship forsaking us i stared at her in complete surprise 
to think of miss maybourne who i had always found so cool and collected in moments of danger talking of feeling nervous i rallied her on the subject as i pulled along and in a few moments she had forgotten her fear while i pulled along i tried to figure out what distance we could be from the island when we discovered that the vessel had turned her back on us i had been rowing for something like half an hour at the rate we had been travelling that would have carried us about a couple of miles from the shore after we had noticed the change in her course we had probably pulled another four at most but that being so we should now be between five and six miles of land two hours hard work in my present condition to add to the unpleasantness of our position the fog by this time had completely enveloped us and to enable you to judge how dense it was i may say that i could only just distinguish my companion sitting in the stern of the boat still however i pulled on pausing every now and again to listen for the noise of the surf breaking on the shore the silence was intense the only sound we could hear was the tinkling of the water as it dripped off the end of the oars there was something indescribably awful about the utter absence of noise it was like the peace which precedes some great calamity it stretched the nerves to breaking pitch indeed once when i allowed myself to think of what our fate would be if by any chance we should miss the island i had such a shock as almost deprived me of my power of thinking for some minutes for at least an hour and a half i pulled on keeping her head as nearly as possible in the same direction and expecting every moment to hear the roar of the breakers ahead the fog still remained as thick as ever and each time i paused in my work to listen the same dead silence greeted me as before once more i turned to my work and pulled on without stopping for another quarter of an hour still no sound of the kind we hoped to hear came to us the island seemed as difficult to find in that fog as the proverbial needle in the bundle of hay the agony of mind i suffered was enough to turn a man's brain if only the fog would lift and let us have a glimpse of where we were in it it would have been a different matter but no such luck continued as thick as ever breathing and circling about us like a smoke from the infernal regions at last i drew in my oars and arranged them by my side under the circumstances it was no use wasting what remained of my strength by useless exertion from that time forward that is to say for at least six hours we drifted on and on the fog remained as dense as when we had first encountered it throughout that time we kept our ears continually strained for a sound that might guide us but always without success by this time it must have been considerably past three in the afternoon and for all we knew to the contrary we still might be miles and miles out of our reckoning all through this agonizing period however miss maybourne did not once complain but bore herself with a quiet bravery that would have shamed the veriest coward into at least an affectation of courage how bitterly i now reproach myself for having left the island to pursue that vessel i must leave you to imagine but for that suicidal act of folly we might now be on dry land if not perhaps as luxuriously housed as we should have liked at least safer than we were now responsibility for that act of madness rested entirely upon my shoulders and the burden of that knowledge was my continual punishment at last i was roused from my bitter thoughts by my companion exclaiming that she thought the fog was lifting a little in one particular quarter i looked in the direction indicated and had to admit that the atmosphere certainly seemed to be clearer there than elsewhere still however there was no noise of breakers to be heard the light in the quarter pointed out by my companion was destined to be the signal for the fog's departure 
and in less than a quarter of an hour starting from the time of our first observing it the whole expanse of sea from horizon to horizon stood revealed to us we sprang to our feet almost simultaneously and searched the ocean for the island but to our horror it was not to be seen we were alone on the open sea without either water or food any real knowledge of where we were or without being able to tell from which quarter we might expect assistance to come a more dreadful situation could scarcely be imagined when i considered the sex and weakness of my companion i reflected what such a fate would mean for her i could have cursed myself for the stupidity which had brought it all about for some moments after we made our terrible discovery neither of us spoke then our glances met and we read our terror in each other's eyes what are we to do what can we do cried miss maybourne running her eyes around the horizon then meeting my gaze again i shook my head and tried to think before i answered her for the moment i am as powerless as yourself to say i replied even if we could fix the direction goodness knows how far we are from the island we may be only distant ten miles or so or we may be twenty it must be nearly four o'clock by this time in another four hours at most darkness will be falling under cover of the night we may miss it again on the other hand we cannot exist here without food or water oh miss maybourne to what straits have i brought you through my stupidity if we stayed on the island instead of putting off in this fool's chase you would be safe now you must not blame yourself mr rexford she answered indeed you must not it is not just for i was quite as anxious as yourself to try and intercept the vessel that we did not succeed is not our fault and in any case i will not let you reproach yourself alas i cannot help it i replied and your generosity only makes me do so the more in that case i shall cease to be generous she said we will see how that plan works come come my friend let us look our situation in the face and see what is best to be done believe me i have no fear god will protect us in the future as he has done in the past i looked at the noble girl as she said this and took heart from the smile on her face if she could not be so brave surely i who called myself a man must not prove myself a coward i pulled myself together and prepared to discuss the question as she desired but it was the knowledge of our utter helplessness that discounted every hope we had no food we had no water true we might pull on but if we did in which direction should we proceed to go east would be able to find ourselves if we lived so long the chances which were a thousand to one on the most unhealthy part of the long coastline of africa to pull west would only be to get further out into mid-ocean where if we were not picked up within forty-eight hours assistance would no longer be of any use to us the canary islands i knew lay somewhere a hundred miles to the southward but we could not pull that distance without food or water and even if we had favourable breeze we had no sail to take advantage of it to make matters worse the fishing line and hook i had manufactured for myself out of my scarf pin had been left on the island surely any man or woman might be excused for feeling melancholy under the pressure of such overwhelming misfortunes while we were thus considering our position the sun was sinking lower and lower to his rest and would soon be below the horizon altogether the sea was still as calm as the mill-pond not a breath of air disturbed its placid surface we sat just as we had done all day miss maybourne in the stern myself amidships the oars lay on either side of me useless as the rudder 
the yoke lines had scarcely been touched since the ship had turned her back on us when i look back on that awful time now every detail of the boat from the rollocks to the grating on the bottom seems impressed on my memory with a faithfulness that is almost a pain i can see miss maybourne sitting motionless in the stern her elbows on her knees and her face buried in her hands at last to rouse her and take her out of herself i began to talk what i said i cannot recollect nor can i even recall the subject of my conversation i know however that i continued to talk and insisted upon her answering me in this way we passed time until darkness fell and the stars came out for the past hour i had been suffering agonies of thirst and i knew instinctively that my companion must be doing the same i followed her example and dabbled my hands in the water alongside the coolness however while proving infinitely refreshing to my parched skin only helped to intensify my desire for something to drink i searched the heavens in the hope of discovering a cloud that might bring us rain but without success courage said miss maybourne again as she noticed me drop my head on to my hands in my despair as i said just now we are in god's hands and i am certain we shall be saved at last as if in mockery of her faith i noticed that her voice had lost its usually clear ring and that it was lower than i had hitherto heard it but now there was a note of conviction in it that showed me how firm her belief was for my own part i must confess that i had long since given up all hope in the face of so many calamitous circumstances it seemed impossible that we could be saved my obvious duty there was to endeavour by every means in my power to make death as easy as possible for the woman i loved in the same tedious fashion hour after hour went by and still we remained as we were floating idly upon the bosom of the deep Twice I tried to persuade Miss Maybourne to lie down at the bottom of the boat and attempt to obtain some sleep. But she would not hear of such a thing. For myself, I could not have closed my eyes for five minutes, even if by doing so I could have saved my life. Every faculty was strained to breaking pitch, and I was continually watching and listening for something. But what I expected to see or hear I could not have told if I had been asked. I pray to God that I may never again be called upon to spend such an absolutely despairing night. End of chapter 7